Hi everybody, Pete Sardis for The Lawyer. You know we are back talking about the Elizabeth Holmes trial. It is week 13. Elizabeth Holmes has been on the stand for four days. She's still not done. I'm gonna tell you kind of what's happened over the last few days. We're gonna talk about some predictions about what may happen next week because there's no trial uh, anymore this week. So we're, they're gonna reconvene again next Tuesday. And beyond that, we're gonna see where you all think this trial is gonna go since the defense has made some indications of their own. So we'll talk about that towards the end. Again, if you're enjoying this video, please give me a thumbs up. If you're enjoying this series, please subscribe to our channel. Again, as always, please leave me questions and comments down below, especially now that we're kind of getting to the end of this series. If there are any other trials or any legal interests that you all have, please let me know what they are and we'll see if we can do that uh, a video or do a series on that topic for you. All right, that being said, let's do a recap. Elizabeth Holmes takes a stand, as you know, uh, last week, and, and her first couple of days of testimony were not that exciting. It was more exciting that she actually took the stand after a couple of what I would consider insignificant defense witnesses. Fact that they called her, I think, is a big deal. I, I really didn't expect them to do that because it subjects her to cross-examination. But like I said, first couple of days are basically it's everybody else's fault, not mine, things we expected. One of the big things I think that did happen, and it's going to be something that the jury I think is going to mull over a lot, is she did admit that she did place the logos of some of these big pharmaceutical companies on the reports that were sent to Walgreens uh, and some of the other retailers that Theranos wanted to do business with. Her representation is she wanted to put their logos on it to demonstrate that they had some part in the production of the documents being to give them credit for it. But when we already know that the CEOs of the pharmaceutical companies and some of the people that were responsible for these joint ventures had already testified that they had not agreed to any of these findings and had not authored any documentation, let alone given permission for their logos to be placed. So I think that is going to sting a little bit. But not really much more than that last week. This week, things get a little bit juicier. And what I mean by that is Elizabeth Holmes starts her testimony on Monday talking about the relationship between her and Sonny Balwani. As you know, Sonny was the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Theranos for a number of years. He was also her love interest during uh, the time that Theranos was uh, ramping up. He winds up, as you know, leaving this uh, organization right about 2016 when the a Wall Street Journal article broke and that there was some uh, internal investigations being done by the federal government on Theranos, he decided to take a back seat. Elizabeth Holmes actually testified that that's kind of when their relationship went sour and you know they split up. But what she did do is she kind of starts a story by saying, Sonny Balwani was the business mind. He was the smartest guy she knew. He was the one that understood business better than anybody else. And from her perspective, he was the one that was making business decisions for the company. She actually goes on to testify that Sonny Balwani was the one who actually produced all of the financial projections that she provided to investors and uh, and folks that you know needed these documents in order to either consider the investment or to track the progress of the company. Kind of a big deal indicating that he was the mastermind that put all these numbers that people had testified they relied upon in order to decide whether they wanted to go forward with a deal with Theranos or they decided they were going to invest money. Now, one of the things that I think is 
going to be interesting over the next day or so of, uh, of her testimony, is the defense starts to admit a series of text messages in order to demonstrate the relationship between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani. Now, for example, back in February of 2015, the defense puts on some text messages between the two, and the text messages say this. I'm sorry I wasn't stronger for you this morning. This is Elizabeth Holmes. That is my responsibility and my role. I will never let that happen again. Balwani's response is, strong enough for me and you, and then some. I don't need you to be strong for me. Her response, my job is to love you when you're stressed. His response, I know. I'm guessing that the intent of the emails like this one and the text messages like this one that were admitted into evidence are to show that Elizabeth Holmes is taking a subservient role, at least you know, looking at Balwani and being his support structure, as opposed to it being the other way around, meaning, you know, I'm Elizabeth Holmes, I'm the CEO of the company, yet the COO is the one with all the business knowledge and the one that I support to get this thing, meaning Theranos, moving forward. I don't know how well that's going to come together, but again, that's something that we will see how that plays out in the jury's mind. Monday then, her testimony kind of shifts and goes away from the business relationship between Elizabeth and Sonny and starts focusing more on the personal stuff. And I, I call this the, you know, the juicy details that I think most people are interested in. She testifies that she, from her perspective, she was the victim of sexual abuse by Sonny Balwani. She testified that he forced her to have sex with her, that he regularly berated her, uh, and he even did weird things like plan her diet to keep her pure, and he would chastise her when he perceived that she either lacked confidence, he would berate her and tell her she doesn't know what she's doing in business. Uh, and one of the things I thought was interesting is she testified that Balwani wanted to kill the old Elizabeth, uh, meaning that kill the person Elizabeth Holmes could never be in order to succeed in business. He told her that her convictions were wrong. Uh, he, he had made a comment that he was astonished at her mediocrity. He even told her that to, if she wanted to succeed in business, she would need to be more like a man. Uh, she did become emotional on the stand. She shed some tears. She had some tissues. So I think the jury gets to uh, kind of seeing the emotional, the human side of Elizabeth Holmes, which is what I believe the defense wants to convey uh, after you know, 13 or 12 weeks uh, of just testimony from, um, you know, from prosecution witnesses. After kind of that segment where she talks about her relationship and the sexual issues between her and Sonny Balwani, she kind of takes a step back and started talking about why kind of this is a big deal for her. And she testified that she was raped when she was 19 years old at Stanford. And that is one of the reasons that she claims she left Stanford, she left the school, and decided that she was going to focus all of her attentions on Theranos and Theranos' success. And that was kind of her coping mechanism for the sexual assault that she had experienced at school. Um, she indicated that Sonny Balwani kind of was somebody that she saw that was uh, stable, and she felt that he was somebody that could kind of, you know, be the rock for her in her future and to give her the stability that she needed to overcome all this adversity that she had under, that she had experienced uh, at Stanford. And, and at some point she testified that she realized or in the course of their uh, relationship that she was actually being manipulated uh, by Sonny Balwani, at which point, you know, things started changing in the way that she viewed him. That was basically the extent of her testimony on Monday. Tuesday, she takes a stand and she's turned over to the government for cross-examination. 
One of the things that happened prior to Elizabeth Holmes taking the stand on Tuesday was that prosecutors asked the judge before the jury came into the courtroom to allow them to delve into Elizabeth Holmes' lifestyle, specifically the trips that she had planned, the private jet, and the famous and powerful people she had met around the the world and other perks that she enjoyed as Theranos' CEO. The defense obviously objected, saying that this kind of moved towards a motion in limine, meaning a motion that they had filed early on uh, in the case, requesting the court to limit some of this testimony. Uh, But the government's position was it is instrumental to them to be able to demonstrate that Elizabeth Holmes coveted fame, attention, and ability to interact with these people, meaning high, you know, highfalutin, high-powered people, and that very powerful—that was a very powerful part of her motive. So, after arguments, Judge Davila uh, sided with the government and overruled the objection by the defense, and basically said that the government has the right to question these things as long as it is to demonstrate Elizabeth Holmes' motive to commit fraud. So that is exactly what they did. Meaning, when the government started their cross-examination, now. Questions started originally with discussions with Elizabeth Holmes about her and Sonny Balwani's communications with the Wall Street Journal right about the time that the Wall Street Journal article and John Carew was starting to kind of fester before it went public. And there were a lot of emails between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani and text messages, I should say, talking about Elizabeth, your your press is too big, you know, you know, take it a notch back. Be careful what you say. Um, there were text messages that uh, Elizabeth Holmes wanted to get ahead of the story so that they could kind of do damage control before the Wall Street Journal article broke. In addition, there were text messages and correspondence between Elizabeth Holmes and Rupert Murdoch. And as you know, Rupert Murdoch is the... Uh, owner for all intents and purposes, the CEO, the chairman of the board for the Wall Street Journal and other news outlets. He is also a $125 million investor in Theranos. So the government showed text messages and correspondence to her. Basically, it would appear to demonstrate was Elizabeth Holmes attempting to gain some favor with Rupert Murdoch, trying to get him to make um, the Wall Street Journal somehow skew the story or talk to some of the Theranos people with a script, basically, that had been provided by Theranos's general counsel and had been discussed with the Wall Street Journal's chief editor at the time. This all kind of happens before the Wall Street Journal even broke that Rupert Murdoch had invested in the company. So kind of odd discussions for you know, a defense that is, we didn't do anything wrong, we never thought anything was wrong. They also, meaning the prosecution, also displayed a lot of text messages between Sonny Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes, where Balwani is demonstrating concern that the statements Elizabeth Holmes is making publicly on news channels or with investors about the ability of the Edison machine, because his text messages indicate back in you know 2015 that they were contemplating using a long-term hybrid solution involving traditional needle-in-the-arm blood draws, meaning readily commercially available blood draws, and 
those that were done on the Theranos finger prick machine. And there are text messages from Balwani talking about his concern about the representations that Theranos is making on their website at the same time about the ability that the Edison machine has to test all this gambit of, of uh, medical problems with that one uh, drop of blood. The government then changes uh, gears and goes down the road about the relationship, the personal relationship between Sonny Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes. They show her a series of text messages that talk about the love that she professes for Sonny Balwani. And I'll give you an example. Balwani writes to Elizabeth Holmes, Love you. I prayed from the bottom of my heart for you. I have never prayed with this intensity in my life for anything. Elizabeth Holmes responds, I love this. My nirvana. In another exchange in 2015, Balwani texts, Your God's tigress and warrior. You're extraordinary. Coming from my tiger means the whole universe to me. Elizabeth Holmes responds, I love you. I worship you. Uh, Balwani writes her, Be yourself. And they kind of send these text messages back and forth, you know, for a good portion of their relationship. In fact, the U.S. attorney um, that is doing the cross-examination says that love appears five, the word love appears 594 times within the collection of 12,000 text messages between Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes, demonstrating that you know, for a guy that was repressive to you, you sure did express a lot of love and he responds with a lot of positive uh, energy towards her. So Elizabeth Holmes on cross admits that she was ultimately responsible for Theranos because she had more equity in the company than anybody else. Let's talk about the numbers. She confirmed that she owned 250 million shares of Class B stocks. For those of you that don't know, there are different classes of stock. You know, some stocks, what we call public stock, is readily available to everybody. Other class of stock, you know, provide for additional benefits. Class B stock, for Theranos' perspective, gave Elizabeth Holmes 100 voting rights per share that she owned, as opposed to the common stock, the Class A stock, which only gave people one vote per share owned. Uh, with that number, she controlled 51% of the company. And at the last funding of Theranos back in 2014, her portion of the valuation of the company was more than $4 billion. The next thing that I think is going to be very interesting to see uh, how it, the next thing the government went into is exactly what they talked about with the court before the jury took uh, the, the jury box. They want on to talk about her lifestyle. Specifically, they talked about the Atherton, California home that Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani bought together in 2013. I'll just tell you that I think that the way that they purchased the house was a little bit odd. Not to say that you know people aren't allowed legally to uh, you know to structure a purchase of a piece of real estate in a, in a way, but normally, you know, if you buy a house, you put it in your name, you put it in yours and your wife's name. That's normally how things happen. What Sonny Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes did is they started a limited liability company and purchased the home on 227 Park Lane in Atherton, California. They split the ownership of this LLC 50-50 and named the company HMFR LLC. And apparently these initials mean this too is my God's glory in Arabic. The government showed the house. The government talked about 
how she had parties and invited investors and invited, you know, had company parties at the residence, which by the way is about 6,800 square feet in the wealthiest of wealthy areas uh, in this part of California. And they're, the government's alluding that Elizabeth Holmes wanted people to see the private side of her and Sonny Balwani. So they would invite people into their home and kind of show off this wonderful estate, you know, and, and just kind of show how they're, you know, kind of getting along and things are so hunky-dory and happy inside of the leadership uh, of Theranos. I will tell you that they bought the house for $9 million. They wound up selling it after the relationship broke up in 2018 for about $8 million, and it is on sale today for a whopping $16.5 million. Kind of where the, uh, the testimony ended for Tuesday. There is no court Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week or Monday of next. So what's going to happen is the government is gonna pick up their uh, cross-examination of Elizabeth Holmes on Tuesday. We'll see what they talk about then. Beyond that, the defense has indicated to the court that they do not expect that the remainder of their defense case is going to take the four days set for trial next week. In other words, they're going to have Elizabeth Holmes back on the stand to finish cross-examination on Tuesday. If she finishes cross-examination on Tuesday, the defense is gonna have an opportunity to do a rehabilitation so they get come back up and ask her some additional questions to either clarify something or, or you know, characterize things that the government may have asked Elizabeth Holmes about. And from that point forward, they're going to call other witnesses, at which point they don't believe it's going to be more than the remainder of Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, which are the four days that are scheduled for this trial, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week. When that's done and the defense rests, you should anticipate that they are gonna be going into jury instructions, meaning they're gonna have a charge conference between the defense the, the judge and the government, and they're gonna to come together and um, craft the, the instructions that they're going to give to the jury by which the jury will judge this case. Uh, I would anticipate you're going to see that that's gonna be a little heated because jury instructions are important because that is the actual verbiage the court will use to instruct the jury so that the jury can base their decision based on those instructions. So we'll see how long that takes. After that, I'm guessing that the uh, the judge is going to release the jury and have them go deliberate, and then we wait and see. Because from that point forward, the trial is in the hands of the jury. They do what they want. They go as long as they want, as long as they need. For the most part, barring some you know some uh, restrictions that are obviously necessary logistically, the jury can craft when they deliberate, how long they deliberate. Uh, if they want to take a day off, if they want to just push through a weekend, they're going to make all those decisions by themselves. So we'll see how all of that plays out. But for our purposes now, tell me what you think. Um, do you think Elizabeth Holmes' testimony is, is having a big impact with the jury? Do you think that it was wise to call her? Um, what do you think is going to come out next? Who else do you think the defense is going to call in order to refute the, uh, the allegations made by the government? From that point, I'm taking uh, I'm taking polls. How long do you think the jury is gonna be out deliberating for this particular case? You think they're gonna just go back there and do it in a day or two? Or do you think we're gonna have weeks of deliberation in order to get a verdict? Hey, let me know what your thoughts are. And my opinion is, I think that we are going 
to jury, meaning the jury's going to get this case to deliberate sometime late next week. I think they're going to take a few days to kind of mill through their uh, their thoughts. I don't think it's going to be weeks, but I would not be surprised if they deliberated for four or five days. So that's my uh, interpretation. You guys tell me what you think. Ask me your questions, and we'll see you next time. Again, if you like the video, give me a thumbs up. If you like the series, please subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.